This week's episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. Embark on the next step of your digital transformation at futureloo.com. Flyover Futures Innovators Podcast, where we are having sit-down conversations with some stand-up folks making big waves in the worlds of data and AI. On the way this episode... You can just hear your passion for this space, for helping people to reach you know, their potential, whether that's in finding the right school, whether that's in making it through. I am the product of, right? Like I am a, because of the GI Bill, I was lucky enough to get a second chance to go back to college. If it wasn't for that GI Bill, I would not be here today. And so it just shows the power of education. That and a lot more is next. So put those seatbelts on. Flyover Future, welcome to you to Innovators Podcast, where we talk with people making big changes in places that you may not expect. My name is Brian Eichenberger. I am executive producer. Uh, Flyover Future is a weekly newsletter. Do you, do you get it? Do you see this in your inbox? It covers corporate innovation, startups, emerging technologies, world-class research, a whole lot more happening in Flyover Country. Hits your inbox every week, and now it's in your earbuds every week with this show. You can subscribe at flyoverfuture.com. Make sure you're getting both of these things. Uh, we're proud to partner this season with F- the Future of Work Initiative powered by Microsoft. We are having direct conversations with people who are directly affecting the world, specifically of, of data and AI. And our guide, our host through this whole thing this season from the Future of Work Initiative, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Reno Weber. Is there like a certain preparation that you typically do before we, we meet here, Ben? Like, is there like, is there mouthwash? Is there gargling? Is there salt water involved? What happened? Uh, <laughs> Have some salt. I do, I do like power poses for about half an hour. A man as tall as Ben Reno Weber doing yoga seems like it would be possibly a detriment to the furniture and glass items in your house. Like, do you ever, you know, if your balance is not good, you could fall over and knock a lot of things onto the ground. Um. Yes, I think that is that's not really me and yoga are not really uh, that's not true. I can actually do a pretty good dancer pose, but not as good as our guest today, Leonard Napolitano, known by friends and potentially enemies as Nappy. I wondered when I was allowed to call him Nappy. I don't know if we're allowed to call him Nappy. What what is your preferred form of address for this kind of formal official uh, event, Mr. Napolitano? You all uh, you all can call me Nappy. I prefer that. So, Nappy, I, I'd love to to start off just asking you, what is the coolest thing connected to data or AI that you have heard of, uh, even if you're not doing it? Uh, so first, I want to uh, preface my response by saying I'm not a data scientist. Which right? is part of why you're so, here, and I want to talk about that. You are right? not a data scientist. My back, yeah. I am not. So for all the listeners, I am not a data scientist. My background is in education. And so... That will provide some context to my answer, because what I think is really cool, someone else might be like, oh, that's not so cool. And so if I had to say some of the coolest things that I see going on, one, I think it's in the military. We are all trying to think about ways of using machines to substitute the individual and in doing so, be able to address complex wartime situations. And you're a vet. And I, the, want to, I want to say that to our uh, listeners, right? And thank you for your service. Uh, yes. And so I think that is really cool, right? I mean, we, you know, some of us have, I, mean, I think most people have seen, you know, the, the Google animal, right? Where this machine animal, but it's beyond that, right? There are already devices that the military is using 
to address complex situations. And that machine is making the decision based upon a series of algorithms. So how does that connect to the, what's the coolest stuff that you're working on related to data? Uh, so I, I, what I think we're doing is really cool, I think, for but it is for a niche, right? Our, what we do is to align the student to the institution. Is this the right college for me? But conversely, is this the right student for me, right? We want, you know, individuals to have a successful pursuit of their academic endeavor, whether it's to a certificate program, whether it's to an associate's program, whether it's to a graduate program, because when they complete they they have a greater chance of being successful in every capacity, right? From their health, from their finances, from the way they uh, participate in their community. So for me, the ability in summary to take in all the other third-party products that an institution's using and incorporate that into our own product, which is already doing profiling and algorithms and currently has about 90 million profiles today. That to me is really cool. That is really cool. Uh, I, I'd love to just back you up a second because uh, you said a couple of things that I think are really interesting. Can you just talk a little bit about Capture Higher Ed and, and what you all do? We are a company that serves the U.S. education vertical. And what we do is, as I mentioned earlier, is that our goal is to create the fit between the student and the institution and the institution and the student, right? Is this where I want to go on to college? And we do that by creating a platform that supports the student for the entire journey, right? So that platform mm-hmm. combines marketing automation and predictive modeling from the moment that I'm unknown to identifying the individual to as they engage to doing the application modeling, the financial aid modeling, the enrollment modeling, then the individual enrolls into that institution. Our platform is managed by a team of individuals that then align other third-party products to help support that platform, right? So it could be digital advertising. It could be things such as other forms of identification or targeting so your message can go through at the appropriate time to the appropriate influencer or user. But all of it's built upon this platform, which combines marketing automation and predictive modeling and which constantly is creating profiles. Oh, all right, there's it's so that. much to unpack there. So what I what I, I love about that is that it's so relatable, right? Can you unpack a, a little bit, like what are the problems that you all are solving? First, the business problem for institutions, right? Institutions spend a significant amount of money to enroll a student from a marketing perspective. So for them, it's critical, how do I reduce my spend per student to enroll them, right, from the marketing sense. And those dollars can be anyway. There are different ways to slice and dice numbers. It can be uh, between $745 and $2,500 a student. There are different measures from a uh, private institution, public institutions, anywhere between $175 to about $800. That's real money. That is real money. So, so one, I have to have, you know, reduce my spend per student, especially now, right? Budget cuts. And schools should because, you know, th- their goal is to educate. And so if they can reduce the dollars to spend on marketing, that's also the dollars they can reinvest in other areas, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. For, for those students. And that's for all programs. Secondly, the other problem we're trying to solve, speed to relevance. What am I interested in? So it's more than just I'm interested in school of education. What aspect of the school of education am I interested in? Mm. And if the school knows that, it's speed to relevance to say, let me talk to you about our program. 
But all too often, you know, the school doesn't have the ability to be that nuanced. Their information's broad. The individual is now, you know, obtaining information that might not be relevant to their interest. So for me, the consumer, what's important. So part of what you're learning is not just, oh, how do I get people through my sales funnel? But also, mm -hmm. how do I get people out of my sales funnel quickly? Getting to know is the right answer. Right? It's a difficult conversation. But you have to remember, think about the fit. Is this the right student for me? And conversely, for the student, is this the right institution for me? Mm -hmm. So I'm able to receive information when I need it about what I want pertaining to what interests me based upon my behaviors. It's catered to me. And we've seen this with the hyper-personalization of our society. And this is just one more step. But when it's something so important, such as your education and your future, I do want it to be personalized considering the investment I as the individual am going to make. So the problem you're solving for the student is, well, what? tell me more about your program, mm -hmm. right? Who can I engage with? And most students today, the average age of the American student is not 18, it's 25. What? So more whoa, than whoa, likely, whoa, pause for a second. Really? The majority of students in the United States today are post-traditional students. That means those students going back to school are not are what we had considered, you know, 20 years ago, that 17, 18-year-old student graduating from high school and going out to a residential campus. So we, and that's exciting. We have, you know, we have the most diverse, you know, student population we've ever seen as a country. I mean, it, what's interesting about that is that I, I didn't know that stat, but I think you, part of what you're talking about now is I'm, it's a completely different ballgame to be marketing to an 18-year-old coming straight out of high school than it is to be, you know, to a mid-career professional looking to go back and get a certificate or, a, you know, a master's degree or some, you know, the trade-offs are different, The the but the program has to have, enough, I mean, you're still operating from the same core institution. You're just, you know, messaging it differently. Right, but it's, and then it's also, what are the services you provide me? So as a, you know, if I'm a, a student that is going to be going to school part-time, raising my family, right? I also, it's more than just the curriculum itself, but I also want to know about what are those, you know, auxiliary services that you have to support me in my future endeavor, you know, from job placement to perhaps other types of uh, remedial or tutoring services that I might require mm -hmm. because, you know, I took some time off and what types of mentoring or cohort? So you're talking about, so marketing automation, you're talking about customer segmentation. I mean, do you see that these are, are technologies or techniques that are applicable beyond where you are right now? Outside of this vertical? Yeah. Is that, so I would say yes. What interests me is in taking this particularly in three areas. One, assisted living mm. or long-term healthcare. One of the most important decisions someone's going to make for a loved one. Is this the right facility for me? Do they have the care that my loved one needs? But conversely, for the facility, do I am I able to, you know, care for this patient? I'm interested in neuro care. The patient might need more ortho care. That's a misalignment. Mm -hmm. But like an institution, when you make that decision to the facility, it is a long-term decision with what you're hoping for is a long-term positive impact on the quality of your life. Mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, it's rare that an individual will go to 20 different facilities. We don't go to really 20 different colleges. We pick, you know, as we go on this path, that path does become condensed and is limited. And so I look at, that's one. The other where I see this is with the voter and in politics 
And as, you know, as um, the, our society is becoming more interested in a variety of p- political action committees as the voters, more interested in candidates, is this the right candidate for me? And I want to know when I go to that candidate website, what are those things? And to be engaged with the information that I need immediately. Mm-hmm. And is it relevant? You know, do I have a connection? Also for the candidate, is this a potentially new voter for me that I'm unfamiliar with that I'm able to create a connection? And we do seem to be aligned in what their position is and what my position is in creating that relationship. Mm-hmm. Lastly, the third thing, going back to the vertical, I would love to want to take what we do at Capture and supporting the enrollment journey from the moment you're unknown, right? We've identified you. Right, we're supporting you. Our predictive modeling—you've now applied, financial aid—you've now enrolled, and moving it into first-year retention. Where, how can we take those profiles and say what have we garnered about you? And remember, we've been able to have interoperability with other third-party products before you applied. What are those third-party products that we can apply now that you're enrolled? right, into our machine learning based upon your previous behaviors. Now we incorporate the e-learning. Now we incorporate perhaps testing in other types of third-party applications. Mm -hmm. And how can we impact the first-year retention? So if that's stronger, well, then now that the students could be more successful, the institutions could be more successful. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. And that has implications through every part of any kind of customer journey. Um, You know, we Mm -hmm. were talking uh, on another uh, podcast with, Rebecca Brown Rice, who's with the Louisville Healthcare mm-hmm. CEO Council. And she was really interested in talking the, about the sort of patient person journey across the healthcare continuum. And so it sounds like you're, you know, you're really talking about that through the education space. I think it's a lot of the same personalization mm-hmm. and connection and, you know, how do we pr- help people to persist? Uh, you yep. know, what she said that I think was so good is she said, you know, we're really good at treating diabetes we're not very good at treating diabetics. And, you know, you, you, what you're talking about is, oh, we're really good at, you know, getting a student to do this one thing. But really, we're not very good at looking at the student as a whole. So I, I don't think generally of universities as highly innovative tech forward institutions. And I say this with great love for the institutions that I have both attended and been affiliated with. Uh, and then also having run a tech company that tried to sell to uh, universities. I, how do you help organizations to think about adapting their legacy systems or organizing their data when they're like, this is not, I'm not a data organization. I mean, that's where marketing comes in, right? I mean, you think about, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant here. But it's a variety of things, right? You yourself have to have done the research. You know, we've done our own research with our data scientists. We're publishing pieces, whether it's in blog or long form content, in order to have the right to have those conversations and to say to someone, I think maybe there's a different way. So I'll pause on that for a second, because I think that's really interesting. I mean, part of what we're trying to help our listeners think through is... How do they build that momentum and culture within their organizations? Are you saying for us internally at Capture, well, you're I mean, you're, when we go yeah, out? You're talking about, I think, thought leadership in the space mm-hmm. as giving you the right to help people think these things through. And I'd just like to hear you talk a little bit about that. For me to say, you know what, I think this might be of interest to you. 
right? I think for you, the institution, as I go to your 990 and I notice how you've been spending your money, right? It, it, if I think there's a better way or a way that's worth you exploring, I, I should have some data to, to come to you to defend my idea, my thesis, to, and for you to, to give consideration for it, right? So one of the things, uh, oh, too often schools spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on leads, right? They're buying these names of students who you think they might be interested because of an ACT score or an SAT score or because of some other data element, and that's it. That's all you right. know. Instead, imagine if you can connect with them because of their behavior. It, it goes against what so many have learned. It's not about more, more, more. It's about the right one because mm. it's getting the right student. And so for me to have that conversation, I have to be able to have the data to support at least that conversation and make it relevant to them. My, my father, the university professor, often described universities as a set of warring tribes united by common complaints about parking. <laughs> yes, parking, and, and, and perhaps the administration, and, perha- and perhaps the administration. Although he was he was a political science professor, yes. so he was too political to yeah. uh, have referenced that. All right, so one more question about that component: How do you think about moving an organization, either yours or your clients, to being more data focused from a cultural perspective? So I think first from the the school perspective. You know, for us, it's being important to understand what's important to them moving an organization, why they would engage with us, and then be able to share with them how we're going to measure. For some schools, it's important for them net tuition. What's going to be the net dollars that is associated with the class that we yield? For some, it might be they want more applicants. So it's finding out what those measurements are, those measurements of success are. And so, okay, this is how we're going to get there with you. From a company standpoint, it's challenging at times, right? Some At some things for a company to be data focused, it's building consensus by working with your various stakeholders. But then there comes a point where you need to say, this is the direction we're moving in. These, This is why we have to, you know, make these metrics a priority. And this is how you can be a part of that. Mm. But we are moving in that direction. Right? <laughs> Got it. We, and we need to move in that direction. Right. The business case and the business problem and why the mm-hmm. metrics matter. But also you're saying to people, here's how you know tracking this or managing this data is going to benefit you. That's right. We all benefit. Every one of us benefit together. Our increases. And you're knowledge. democratizing that data. You're making it visible to people at different levels in ways that let them be a, be a part of that. That is one of the things I fundamentally believe in. Some people, this is an area of disagreement from some of my peers, but uh, it's tr- we we are equals on this. In- we're equals on this journey. Brian, I think you're trying. Are you trying to get in there? You keep moving your mic towards your mouth. Uh, yeah, I've got a question. You know, I'm hearing a lot of talk about transparency, and we're in a world right now where even just the average person, maybe not super informed on all of the specifics, but here's a lot about data privacy. And here's a lot of arguments against data being shared. So what do you do in those rooms? Or what do you do when a university president says, oh, I don't want to get into that data privacy thing where people are going to think that we're stealing their data? Ferpa, Ferpa, Ferpa. Well, right. So the, the, the exciting thing is that there are already guidelines that govern the use of data, right? So there's the California Consumer Protection Act. There is FERPA. Institutions might also have some additional uh, requirements that they employ. And so for any 
good partner, good vendor, you recognize and also employ those same policies, right? That's what we do. The next thing is, so that there's the data privacy, but then there's also, I'm still engaging with someone, but you could still protect one's data, but still engage with someone with relevance based upon their behavior. And that they are able to obtain the information that they want in a shorter period of time based upon their interests. Mm-hmm. And one can do that even without sharing their data or who I am, right? By saying, I'm Len Napolitano, I'm just anonymous. Yeah. Okay. A thoughtful response. Uh, let's pause there and hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. This episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative powered by Microsoft. The Future of Work initiative is dedicated to increasing economic opportunity and equity by enabling Louisville to become a regional hub and center for excellence in artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and data science. If you are a person looking to upskill into the data economy or a company ready to embark on the next step of their digital transformation, learn more at futurelu.com. I want to f- flip over now and talk a little bit about y- your career uh your path to being the ceo of this data company like probably many kids of my generation i realized i had to pay for college myself and i never want to say would have could have and should have and have someone decide what my path in life is so i returned from thanksgiving break and i walked into a recruiter's office active duty enlisted not traditional this is during uh desert storm one and from there had a career in the army um, gave me a scholarship to go back to school, which is how I uncovered Center College was one of the choices I was afforded and then became a reserve officer and then had the opportunity to have my first job at Pete Marwick, KPMG, where I met the co-founders of Blackboard. And then while there, they gave me the opportunity. They said, you'll never have to wear a suit again. And I thought, <laughs> that's awesome, right? This is the greatest day ever. Out of uniform, out of suit. Uh, so, and I don't want to back up, which is that y- you enrolled in the army as a gay man. I did. Uh, during the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I did. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how that has been a part of your career? So I would say, at first, I think whether you're gay or straight, it, it should never, def- it doesn't, it's just an aspect of one's life. There's so many things that define an individual. I think for me initially in the army, it was relatively easy for quite some time, one, because you're under emotional stress, physical stress, you can you can compartmentalize things in a variety of ways and continue to drive on, right? But you can only compartmentalize for so long. Mm. When I think that really came to fruition was when I got to DC, I'm, I was a reserve officer. Eventually, I do get mobilized to support Operation Iraqi Freedom. And it was where it started becoming troublesome was when George W. Bush that February proposed the Federal Marriage Amendment Act. And I never forget, I was running on a treadmill on it, on an army base, and I was like, are you kidding mm. me? Right? Here I am. You're saying I'm, you are, you're going to instill in the most important document that governs our society that I am a lesser individual. Mm. And it was at that point when I would say I did not go into a situation saying I'm gay, but became very vocal. But I also made a decision, you know, you make your bed, you sleep in it. So I chose to go into the army knowing what its rules were. So I gave up some of my liberty 
to make that decision to be part of something bigger. And I was very cognizant to respect the army for that, right? Mm -hmm. I Just because I don't agree with it, that's not your role as a soldier, right? I am given orders and I execute those orders and to the best, you know, to the best of my ability. Uh, when I got out of the army uh, on in April 6, uh, I did become way more vocal and was very happy to protest. And I still have the sign I made that said, Obama, I have the guts to serve. Do you have the guts to act? Oh, okay. So KPMG into, a, a, at that point, a startup. Startup. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that decision? That's kind of, you know, first off, Army to KPMG. Okay, that makes some sense. It's, you know, institutional. We, we kind of, there are very clear rules. Uh, but uh, So I've always been a bit, you know, I've always taken my own path. And so even just waking up one day and saying, I'm going to join the military, I just felt it was the right thing to do. I, I can't describe it. I said, why not? And I came on board as one of their original salespeople. The other one was a gentleman by the name of Lee Wang, who is just absolutely brilliant. Lee eventually starts the wedding wire, which then becomes acquired by the knot. I mean, that whole early group of Blackboard, just uh, each person was smarter than the next. And here I am like this <laughs> schmo. Oh, right. Yeah, you're such a schmo. Such a schmo. So, okay. So Blackboard goes from, you know, you're one of the first couple of, of salespeople. I was very fortunate. I went public. Uh, to be there what went public and to spend almost, you know, 10 years there. I realized I had to leave if I wanted to become an executive. Went to a small stint at one company, and then I went to the company called Presidium Learning but that was started by the fifth person at Blackboard and became the, his VP of sales. And that's where we transformed an IT support services company to a student services company. Mm which was considered revolutionary, which will then become the foundation of the OPM model. For those of you involved in ed tech, and then Presidium, we had a wonderful run and it was acquired by Blackboard. And so I was back at Blackboard again. And, it, you know, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, well, I have to, where do I go next? And the chairman of the board at Blackboard said, hey, I'm going to take over the small company called DocuFied. And I'm going to call it parchment and I'd like for you to be my VP of sales. And so I said, great. And so off to Arizona, there were eight of us there. And what also, every time I made the jump, it was because the mission, mm. right? Parchment was changing the way we viewed credentials because it was the most important thing someone had. So how do we get the institution to read what, you know, how do we not only one get them to read what's important on the credential, but can we make the credential, credential multidimensional? Parchment had a successful exit with an acquisition. Uh, you know, I think this is now public of $250 million uh, Goldman Sachs led by Brentwood Associates. And it merged with its uh, competitor. And it is now the largest provider of credentials in the United mm. States. And that's what then got me to capture. And to have the opportunity, the next place was enrollment. I never had the chance to really make my mark in enrollment. I will... Every time I leave an area of education, I will never work for a competitor. I thought Blackboard was the best of the best mm. in e-learning at the time and what it did. And I moved on and I felt Parchment was the best of the best. And now I believe Capture is the best of the best in redefining how we engage and enroll students and doing so with the platform that has marketing automation and predictive modeling managed by a team of experts. Well, and I, you can just hear your passion for this space, for helping people to reach 
you know, their potential, whether that's in finding the right school, whether that's in making it through. I am the product, right? Like I am a, because of the GI Bill, I was lucky enough to get a second chance to go back to college. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for that GI Bill, I would not be here today. It's so it just shows the power of education. So you, you have said you never look back. Uh, you never go back into the same spaces of the, you know, where you have been. What, mm-hmm. what does your career look like from here? You know, let's, let's, let's say we grow capture to IPO. I don't know if that's the aspiration, but let's say that that is <laughs> the, what happens at, then? Uh, at, then I think it's public service mm. uh, in some capacity. I love that. I love that. I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. Hey, uh, Nappy, we do a little thing we call flyover flybys, where I get to ask you a few questions that Ben has no jurisdiction I'm, I'm innocent. Okay. Which military movie was most like your military experience? Uh, MASH, Stripes, or Polly Shore's In the Army Now? Uh, neither. <laughs> neither about. Plus, I don't watch movies. Okay, I've never seen any of those movies. I I do not watch movies. Wow. So that's, that's something to unpack on the next episode. Yeah. Is, bro, maybe sometimes you can back away from the data and watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> you, you said you'll never wear a suit again. Uh, if you were forced to wear a suit again, which of the following would you choose? Superman suit, a hazmat suit, or a suit of armor? Suit of armor. You mentioned wanting to work in enrollment. At a, at a point uh, in, in doing that now, uh, which of the following are you most likely to enroll in a cooking class, a skydiving trip or an improv troupe? Improv. I, I could, I was going to guess that those are good answers. Although I could see you easily skydiving while playing rugby. I, I, I did, So I was in the 82nd airborne, but I no longer am a big fan of heights. So I'm like, you know, uh, I, I, I did my time jumping out of airplanes with a whole bunch of gear on me. <laughs> and now like, I realize I think I might be scared of heights when I went up to the arch in St. Louis. And I was like, get me down. Like, I was like, this is not fun. I want, and then you go back into that little choo choo, like that little compartment with like you and some family from some other town that you've never heard of. And it's close and they want to talk and you smell their breath. And you're like, you know what? I just need to get off this. I just need to get off this ride. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and interestingly, as we are recording this in the middle of COVID, like, will we ever do that again? Right. We'll probably never share like, a small airtight pod with a complete yeah. strangers again. So uh, we always ask uh, everyone two questions. Uh, one is, what are you most excited about in the coming data revolution? I am excited. I think two things. I think one there will be, I speak to more and more people who are removing themselves from a variety of social networks. Mm-hmm. So wh- so how are you going to engage and identify what's important to them, especially as more and more people are becoming uh, quite astute about different ways to disable things on your phone uh, and different ways to reconsider the things that you engage with or interact with. And I think that is going to be disruptive in and of its, you know, in, in a whole different oh. way. Like that to me, because now something new is going to have to come up. Yeah, yeah. Occupy we want to engage. Yeah, with yeah. Okay. So, what scares you most about the coming data revolution? I think people don't realize you have to be a good researcher. You know, it's one of the things you learn in college. What's the primary source? What is this? 
And there, if, you know, what makes, I think, why I respect the capture immensely, it was more managed service. The machine doesn't dictate everything. The machine, you know, enables you, gives you insight to execute professional judgment and the role of the individual is critical, right? And even for the individual to still say, let me go back to some of those, you know, primary data sources. Well, it's taking that step, right? Instead of the speed, speed to leads, you know, speed is contagious because in speed, you want to move even quicker and you're moving quicker. But did you pause and say, what is this telling me? Right. So it's anything from the news we read to whether it's how we execute a task and that information. Did I take a moment to really question and continue to question what, wh- how is this being derived? And what is my, in balancing my judgment and becoming a better student of data? Mm. Mm. Brian, mark that piece. <laughs> we need that. That goes in the highlights. Where can people find you, Nappy, if they want to uh, connect with the work you're doing? Uh, if they want to find me, they, they can connect with me at NAP, like I'm taking a nap, N-A-P, at captureheired.com. Nappy, this has been great, Dude, man. This is perfect. Thank you. thank you so much. No, thank you, guys. Uh, please uh, enjoy splicing it down to a reasonable amount of time. Oh, there you go. Put all the pressure on me. Uh, find out all you need to know about Ben Reno Weber and the Future of Work Initiative. Check out futurelu.com. Find them on LinkedIn or follow along futurelu on Instagram or at Lou Future of Work on Twitter. I'm Brian Eichenberger. Uh, you can find out about all of the podcasts and production I'm involved in at wearethestoryguys.com. Shoot me a note. Uh, special thanks, of course, to Nappy, as I am now allowed to call him, Leonard Napolitano, and everybody at Capture Higher Ed. And, of course, Flyover Future. You can discover, connect, and thrive with weekly emails covering everything you need to know about Midwest innovation. Do it at flyoverfuture.com. And, of course, we'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to this show and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple, Google, let them know. Let them know we're here. And uh, make sure that when you uh, exit the plane, that little wet nap that you wiped everything down with, don't don't leave it in your uh, seat back. That's gross. No, but nobody else wants to touch that. Take that with you, okay? <laughs> we'll see you next time.